This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles and let's turn to Matthew's Gospel. This morning we're going to conclude the fifth chapter. As we begin our celebration of the 2020 Christmas season, and I want to stop and just pause for a moment to thank those who helped with the decorations in here yesterday. Uh, Great job. I just love the atmosphere. And of course, all of this is energized by the reality that within our hearts this morning is the spirit of our Lord himself. He is here present with us. And as we worship, we worship Uh, in spirit and according to the truth, because we know the truth. Uh, And so, even though there are other things happening this Christmas season, don't let it detract from your your joy. Don't let it take away uh, from your celebrating and especially worshiping the Lord and letting others see your worship as you tell uh, them about Him. But as we celebrate... The Lord has us in a text this morning that should transform our perspective. Have you ever thought about the fact that the incarnation was really an invasion? Think about it. It was really an invasion. King Jesus became a babe and penetrated enemy lines grew to conquer his enemies to make them his friends and bring peace. So we had a grandson born this week. And I was tempted in the PowerPoint to just give you pictures, but I, that would distract, so we didn't, we didn't do that. But looking at that little guy, what a miracle, Right? But think about the miracle that God sent his son, born as a babe. And that was part of his battle plan. You say, oh, pastor, you're overstating that this morning. Am I? Say, was it really about warfare? Was it about battle? Will you explain to me why Satan influenced Herod to send soldiers to take on babies in Bethlehem? There's your answer. And, and we think about the rose of Bethlehem and that, that sweet baby boy. And we should. But folks, the text today is going to help us see what in fact the Father was doing, not for his friends, but to come save his enemies and make his enemies his friends. And by the way, that was Mike, that's you. Enemies alienated, and yet Christ reconciled through his own body on a tree. And so with that in mind, when he saves one of those enemies, you and me, he calls on us to help conquer his enemies and our own through love, good works, and prayer. So in our text this morning, The fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel 
Jesus teaches that kingdom righteousness can conquer earthly enemies. And he proved it. And now he wants to work in us to prove it. So that's the title of this morning's message, Kingdom Righteousness That Conquers Earthly Enemies. As we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount, Mountaintop Living, let me remind us again that the Lord at the end of chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel is working through six important Old Testament laws and interpreting them in a complete way, the complete way that they were intended. Outward actions are important. We need to keep the law. And even these days, sometimes we look at this negatively. Well, he's, he's letter of the law. Well, be careful with that. Because the Lord did say, pay attention to the letters. Remember that message on the jots and the tittles? The Lord said, I didn't come to annul any of that. I came, though, to fulfill it. You need to see the picture. You need to obey what I said, but you need to do it with the right spirit, the full spirit of what I intended. And now he's giving us more words to help us know what he intended. Outward actions are important, but they need to flow from yielded spirits. The final law that Jesus will teach on in this section is found in chapter 5, verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Now this takes closer examination. Let's look at it. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. That word love is a word that if you're a student of the Bible, you know. It's the word agape. We're to agape our neighbors. We'll come back to that. Our neighbor is not the guy that lives next door, all right? The, the woman who raises roses over the backyard fence, that's not just the neighbor. This is the word for your fellow man. And we know from the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan, the Lord is, is teaching us that your neighbor is anyone that you can help. So your fellow man, those who are near, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. So let's, let's look at this. This is the statement of the law, the statement of the law. But some clarification is needed. And, and when I read this text, hopefully this happened when you read the text, you're thinking, where in Scripture did the Lord tell me to hate my enemy? And if that question came up, it's a good question because the Lord never told us to do that. So when the Lord says, you have heard or you've read, some of it now is scriptural, some of it's not. And we'll explain that in just a moment. So the law did state the first part. In fact, in Leviticus 19.18, Thou shalt not avenge, that reminds us of last week's message, right? Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, I am the Lord. Question, do you love yourself? Uh, well, pastor, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Okay. In fact, modern psychology says your problem is you don't love yourself enough. The Bible says our problem is we love ourselves too much. 
And by the way, we do some, some silly, selfish, sometimes even self-hurtful things because we do love ourselves so much. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, and we demonstrate self-love in so many ways. Okay? But we're to love others like we take care of us. And we do take care of us. You're, you're a great-looking bunch this morning. Why? Because you're taking care of you. I'm guessing when you felt hungry this week, you took care of you. I'm guessing that if you were out Christmas shopping, thinking of others, right? But you saw a great deal to help you, something you wanted, you, you loved you. Okay? Ephesians 5, no man ever hated himself, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. And the admonition there is, so you guys take care of your wife the same way you love you. That would solve a bunch of marriage problems, wouldn't it? Say, Pastor, you're meddling. Yes, because she's thinking of her to-do list and you're thinking of yours. Okay, think about hers. Anyway, it has nothing to do with this. Anyway, okay, yeah, it does. All right, so that's the Old Testament law. The law, though, did not state the second part about hating your enemy. Though there are some texts that could be taken out of context to support treating your enemies with hate. For example, Deuteronomy 23 and verse 6. I give it to you here. Thou shalt not seek their peace, nor their prosperity, all thy days forever. Now, in the context, who's that talking about? It's talking about Moab. Do you remember what Moab did to Israel? Remember Balaam and that whole situation? That's the context. And after that awful situation where ultimately, though Balak would, could not get Balaam to curse God's people, came up with the idea, let's just send in ungodly, wicked women. If we can get the nation to commit immorality, then... God will have to judge him, and God did. But the result of that was this passage. Don't seek their peace, nor their prosperity, all, the, all thy days forever. And you, you might be uh, coming back to say, okay, there you go. There is the reason to hate your enemies. God said so. There's only a problem with that. That was the nation of Israel at a specific time in their history and is that how God feels about Moab as far as the individual people? Let me, let me give you a snapshot of grace. Anybody here heard about Ruth? And where was Ruth from? Moab! And oh, by the way, it's Christmas, right? Who is in the lineage of the Lord Jesus? Ruth from Moab. So they made themselves enemies, and the children of Israel were supposed to treat them like enemies, but even there, if there was an enemy that had a heart and embraced the God of Israel, welcome to the nation. All right, here's another text. You can read in Psalm 41, verse 10, But thou, O Lord, David speaking, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite or repay them. And in the previous verse, it tells us who them is. All right? 
Uh, those who lift up their heels against me. So David is writing, Lord, be merciful unto me. Raise me up that I may repay them. But look at the, the verse closely. How does God repay them? He wipes them out. It's not what it says. You know what the Lord does to repay them? He's merciful to David and he raises David up. You want to silence an enemy? Just let that enemy's enemy be lifted up by God. That'll do it. And yes, in Israel's history, there were times that the enemies of David were cut down. But the ultimate testimony is the fulfillment of that. God raised David up as he humbly served the Lord. Okay. So, why did Jesus say this? He said it primarily in reference to the Jews' rabbinical writings. Remember, they added to the law. The Lord went after the Pharisees for that. Their rabbis were writing things in an attempt to clarify the law, but they were adding to it. They weren't clarifying anything. They were making the burden harder on God's people. And so when you read what Jesus said, he's referring to what the rabbis wrote. You have heard it has been said, hate your enemies. It's been said, but not by me. In fact, the Lord is going to take the rest of the text to correct that thinking. All right, so here we go. How relevant is this text for you and me? This affects where you and I live each and every day. Question, do you agape your neighbor, your fellow man? And what that means is, do you selflessly serve his or her needs from your heart? Where you really have compassion and mercy, and from your heart you selflessly serve their needs. Is there any application there for us? Of course. Let's make it even more personal. Do you have any enemies? Well, pastor, I don't think so. Tell me where you've been hiding. You've got enemies. By the way, Ephesians 6, some of them are unseen. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. You can't even see all your enemies. We've all got them. Okay? But when it comes to humans who are our enemies, verse 44 brings them into view. Now, does anyone in your life curse you, hate you, exploit you for your own, for their own selfish ends? Does anybody use you that way? Do they hurt you, persecution, because of your faith? Enemies are out there. And if you don't think you have any yet, just live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to get some. Okay. And so, watch how King Jesus says kingdom citizens exercise true righteousness and fulfill their obligations to him. All right, we've seen the statement of the law. Now let's look at the spirit of this law, the spirit of the law. It's certainly easier to love our friends and neighbors, right? But I say unto you, the Lord, here, verse 44 all right, here's the spirit of the law. First of all, love your enemies. Remember, we're to agape, agapeo, 
uh, our, our neighbors, serve them selflessly. But the same thing is said towards our enemies. Wow. Serving their needs from our hearts. What else? Well, bless them that curse you. Bless your heart. That's not what it's talking about. All right. What does bless mean? Okay. Listen to this Greek word and see if it sounds familiar to you. Eulogio. Eulogy? Well, when we think eulogy, what do we think of? A funeral? People stand up. They eulogize someone. They think good about uh, them, what they can say that's good about them. And often they express thanksgiving for them. When's the last time you eulogized an enemy? Not because you made him dead. No, I'm not talking about that. Okay, no. When's the last time you eulogized an enemy? Where you thought of good things to say about them and you said that to someone else. And you gave thanks. That boss at work that has it out for you, that co-worker. Do you know the Lord said that when he came, some of our enemies would be those of our own household. Because you stand for Christ, you love the Lord, you admonish others. Do you know that the children can turn against parents? Brothers can turn against sisters. And one of the things that will help you, one of the things that pleases the Lord, is to eulogize them. Talk about the good things they do. And give thanks for them. We don't often think that way about our enemies, do we? But that's how the king wants us to think. Let's go on. Do good to them that hate you. So when you run into a hater, it's time to be a do-gooder. Look for ways to help them. The text here, to consider Romans 12 and verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And somebody says, oh, I like the coals of fire thing. No, no, no. It's not literal coals. What's it talking about? This is an expression that means conviction. As you do good to them, to those who hate you, the Lord uses that. You're not doing it for a nefarious reason. When you do that, God uses it to bring conviction to their hearts. And what is the king trying to do? He's trying to draw that enemy to himself. So, again, do good to them that hate you. Growing up, or, or when our kids were growing up, uh, we listened to a lot of Patch the Pirate. Okay, I can still hear some of those songs. My favorite, by the way, young people... Patch Down Under, the whole Australian one, that was the classic. That was the best one, okay? But in that one, there's a song. And I love this song. Our kids would sing it. Conquer your foes by turning them into friends. This is the remedy the Bible recommends. Return good for evil and never seek revenge. Conquer your foes by turning them into friends. That's biblical. 
So love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Next, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I believe that the Lord saves that one for the very end for this reason. That prayer is going to enable you to do all the other things. Prayer is the breath of dependence. And when I cast that burden on the Lord, and I'm talking to him about those who have made themselves my enemies, those who have it out for me, God enables me to be to them the righteous influence that God wants me to be. What Jesus is teaching here helps take the emotion out of our circumstances by turning them into actions. Prayer especially enables the action and drains the poison out of our attitudes. Did you catch that? When someone does something to you, what's the first response? The eye for eye, tooth for tooth that we talked about in the last message. Okay? But the Lord wants to release the poison out of that. What's going to do it is prayer. Pray for them. The Lord is asking us, by the way, to do to our enemies what he did for his enemies. Remember, he's hanging on the cross. And what did he pray to the Father? Father, forgive them. Romans 5 and verse 10. For if... When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more. Being reconciled. We are now the ones who have been reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. So before we get too pious here, and we're not thinking correctly, we've got to go to a passage like this and realize, who put Jesus on the cross? I've heard people today say the Jews did. No, you did. I did. Why? He had to pay for our sins. We were the enemies where he came into this world to save us. And God wants to use us then through his life. He enables us to love our enemies as he did us. Remember, that I said the incarnation was really an invasion. That's exactly what Romans 5.10 is teaching. We were not only slaves to our own sin, but hostile enemies to God and His holiness. In love He came, He conquered us, and now we are saved by His life. Aren't you glad that God conquered you? Let me ask this, when the Lord first started to draw you to himself, was there any resistance? There are some people, well, God, God worked in my heart, brought conviction, and I just surrendered, I got saved. And yet some of you have testimonies today that it was a long period of time. The Lord was drawing, and, and you've heard the expression, yeah, he drew me kicking and screaming. I, I had my life, I wanted to do it my way. And what was the Lord doing? He had to conquer you to save you. Does God do that? Ever heard of Saul of Tarsus? God conquered him, dropped him on the road to convince him that he was Lord. Saul surrendered. Paul, the, the missionary, the apostle. Is God good? I'm, I'm so glad he conquers 
And by the way, if you're listening to this message this morning and there's any resistance, you don't want to let God have his way, I'm praying that God will conquer you. And by the way, he, he, who the Lord loves, he draws. He rebukes. He draws. But if that doesn't work, he loves us so much that he's willing to, let me use a wrestling expression, he's willing to take you to the mat. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. In light of eternity, it's real loving. But you don't have to resist. You're opposing yourself. Give your heart to him. Yesterday in our men's prayer breakfast, Matt Armstrong shared the challenge and referred to his testimony. After years, trying to help people think that he was saved, God conquered Matt. What a blessing. What a change. I think this church, and I think there are a lot of other churches that have professors, but not possessors. And if your life continues to go on and you've convinced yourself in spite of my sin, in spite of my rebellion, I'm okay. There's a great likelihood you need to be saved. You need to be conquered by the king. And I'm praying that you'll do it. You need to surrender to him. Stop pretending. You know your heart, and the Holy Spirit's going to help you know your heart. You need to surrender to him. Think about this statement. Through his life, through Christ's life, we can be used to rescue more of his enemies. The problem is that most of the world still considers him an enemy. And he wants to use us to change that. So we've seen the statement of the law, the spirit of the law. Love, bless, do good, pray. And now consider these closing statements of our Lord that reveal the signs of a mature child of God. All right, this is where you all get out the mirror and take a good hard look, as I had to do in preparing for this message. We have a standing joke with our kids. Uh, in our house, you know what we call mirrors? Ugly finders. Ugly finder. Yeah, that's why you consulted yours this morning, hopefully. Okay, all right, what happened overnight? Oh, boy. Okay. Time to go to work. Well, let's be honest, right? We can say, well, that's a mature Christian. They love the Lord. Time out. Here are the signs of a mature child of God. Our actions as we fulfill the spirit of the law to love our enemies reveal something very important. Look at verse 45. That, or in order that, ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now this is not teaching that you become his children if you treat your enemies right. Only by the blood of Christ can you not be an enemy and treat your enemies right. Instead, here's the point. We bear his resemblance as his children when we follow this text. What does the Father do for his enemies? Well, the text tells us. Look at it. Verse 45. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, 
and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, we don't, we don't tend to think of this. In fact, when it rains and rains and rains, and in Hampton Roads it floods and floods and floods, we're probably not given thanks for all this rain, but we do have to admit it helps things grow, right? It does. Who is sending that rain? The Father above. Who's he sending the rain on? Not just his children, his enemies. Why? So their crops grow too. Why? Because he loves them. When he lets his sun shine and that light, so important to help things grow, does, does light encourage our hearts after days of rain? Oh, I love to see a blue sky and sunshine. Well, who's the Lord doing that for? Just his children. No. His enemies. And he's growing their crops, and he's feeding them. He's taking care of them. Every one of those enemies, as their heart continues to beat in their chest, who's doing that? Not them. God. He cares. He loves. So what's the point of the text? What's the sign of a mature Christian? We're like our Father. We do good to our enemies, too. Go on. God's behavior is unlike what sinners typically do. What do sinners do to their friends? Verse 46, If ye love them that love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans. By the way, what did the Lord do when he used the word publican? He just brought to mind the, one of the main enemies of the Jews. Well, who are the publicans? They're the IRS agents that who, who have sided with Rome. They're the tax collectors, and usually when they collected the tax, there was a Roman soldier right next to him, and if he told you, you owe double tax than what you really owed, so he could put the rest in his pocket, you pay double or else. Oh, hate those guys. But those guys were nice to each other. You know, mobsters are often nice to each other if they're on the same team. Look at verse 47. And if you salute your brethren only. Okay, a kind greeting. A greeting of, of concern or kindness. What do you more than others? How are you any different? Do not even the publicans so. So we're, we're admonished in these verses, be like the Father but be better than the sinners. Well, I'm nice to people. You mean people that are nice to you? Yeah, I'm not. The world does that. Well, I give gifts to people who give gifts to me. Well, so what? The world does that. I, I, go, I go out of way to help my neighbor. Yeah, because he's always helping you. What about the neighbor that's not nice to you? That's, that's the point that the Lord is, is making. And so in verse 45, be like the Father. Verse 46, be better than sinners who do some of these thing, same things too. Be better than that. You're a kingdom citizen. Verse 
Verse 48, be therefore complete or perfect, complete as you fulfill the law in a complete way. Even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. What he does is complete. We just saw examples. He sends his rain and his sunshine on those who hate him. And so like your father, you respond the same way. Let's conclude. Jesus didn't come to annul the law, but to fulfill it completely from the heart. That's what he's helping us to see. Kingdom citizens fulfill the letter of the law, the jots and the tittles, but they also do it with a spirit that is yielded to Christ. This makes them mature as children of the Heavenly Father without any hate in their heart. And by the way, can we review what the rest of the text is saying? No hate in the heart. Listen, who honor the sacredness of the marriage bond over divorce. Remember, the Lord talked about that. Kingdom citizens who fulfill their verbal commitments to others. Remember that? Who release revenge over to the Lord instead of taking it out on their enemies. And in fact, from today's text, they love their enemies. That's what a mature citizen of the kingdom looks like. That's what a child of God lives like. This is what a mature citizen does. And here's the great news as we enter the Christmas season. God will use the love of this kind of a Christian to help bring his enemies to himself and to make them his children. And I, Pastor Ned, at this point, I can't help but think about the cantata. What an opportunity. What are we doing? Well, it's Christmas. We want to have a nice concert. No, 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 no. No. Former enemies are going to play and sing so that any enemies who are listening, God can melt their hearts. He puts a new song in our heart. Why? So that they can see our worship and do what? Glorify the Father in heaven. Surrender as enemies to the King and be made His children. So let's ask God to be mature, make us mature citizens of heaven. Because we have such a vital role here. And God wants to use us to reconcile others just like he reconciled us. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this text. Lord, we, we look at the cross. We look at the manger in Bethlehem. And we see you doing exactly what Jesus is admonishing us to do. And Lord, we can do this as forgiven people, justified. Lord, desiring that others would know Christ and have what we have. But thank you for this reminder because hate and bitterness, revenge, all these things can well up in our hearts because of people mistreating us. And we can lose sight of what's most important. So thank you for your example. Thank you that through the indwelling Christ, we can treat 
our enemies, your enemies, with love and grace. And Lord, this week, I believe this is going to be challenged in our lives. So help us to be walking with you and help our response to draw them to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.